This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to Mom and Dad Are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for August 4th, 2016, the Mean Girls and Lazy Guys edition. I'm Dan Coyce. I'm the dad of Harper, who is eight, and Lyra, who is 11, and I'm an editor at Slate. I'm Allison Benedict, also an editor at Slate and the mom of Harry 7, Sam 5, and Wally 3. Hello, Allison. Hi, hi, hi. So on this episode, uh, we will talk to Rosalind Wiseman about the brand new edition of her classic guide to girls' friendships, Queen Bees and Wannabes. And we'll discuss a uh, fulcrum for both conflict and sometimes sexism in many two-parent homes, Division of Household Labor. Plus, triumphs and fails, recommendations, and in our plus segment, Slate designer and brand new Virginian, Natalie Matthews Ramo will share a triumph or fail about her move. And Allison is going to grill me about my family's big upcoming move, a crazy life turn that means, among other things, that Allison needs to get a new co-host for this podcast. Okay, last episode, which was now four weeks ago. We skipped an episode. Thank you all for understanding. Uh, I asked you guys to please help us get to 5,000 likes on our Facebook page by the end of the summer. And we are now at 5,176 likes at the time of this recording. And it's only the amazing. first week of August. Yes, totally amazing. amazing. This means that uh, I set my expectations too low. That's true. Which is a really great parenting strategy. My but. hand is incredibly sore from all 5,100 <laughs> high fives that I received. Uh, so let's get to 5,500 people. By the end of the summer. So the next time you wish you were on vacation instead of at work, like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash mom and dad are fighting. 
Uh, now, before we get to triumphs and fails today, Allison, it is time to check up on our summer pinky swears. Ooh, you sprung this on me. Sure did. There's one month left this summer, so we still have a chance to fulfill our resolutions. If we have not gotten to all of them, it's okay. But Allison, I'm going to ask you how it's going for your summer pinky swears, and I'll talk about how it's going on mine just in case listeners don't remember what Allison's summer pinky swears were. They were, number one, leave work early on Friday nights for family fun. Have you accomplished that this summer? No, I have not. In my defense, we have mm-hmm. been going through what I would call a childcare crisis for the past month. Um, and so everything's working out right now. It's being worked out. It is worked out finally. But it wasn't like a typical month, although nothing's ever a typical month. So no, I have not. Per- this is perhaps more atypical as well in that there were two political conventions that you were in charge of running coverage of. Although neither of them, both of those were Fridays off. That's true. Yeah. Uh, okay. Number two, go camping with the kids. No. <laughs> Okay. Number three, go down the shore for a day. No. Okay. Uh, My three summer pinky swears were, number one, play tennis with the kids. I have done that once. Number two, visit five Virginia State Parks. I have visited one Virginia State Park. Number three, drink on Fridays with friends. I did that. I accomplished it. I have also had drinks on Fridays with friends. Unfortunately, that was not one of my... Summer pinky squares. Okay, well, we have a month left, and we didn't say that you had to accomplish it by the middle. No, nope, we just did by the end. Fifty-five hundred likes check and completing the pinky swears by the end of the summer. All right, we're on it. Um, okay, so now let's move on to triumphs and fails. Uh, I will go first. Okay. Um, I have a fail this week. We talk a lot about all kinds of different ways you can fail as a parent uh, on the show. There's like one really simple rule about a thing you should not do, which is that you should not injure your child whenever possible. Uh, But sometimes we fail even at that. So yesterday, Harper and I were um, shooting the basketball in the driveway and having a good time. And, you know, I was passing it to her and she was shooting. We were having shooting contests. And I was like, oh, you know what would be funny is I'll, I'll bounce a pass off the side of the house to her and she'll think that was cool but she didn't know what I was doing, and instead I just whammed her right in the face with the ball at, like, high speed. Uh, I don't think she had a concussion. I, like, checked her out, and nothing was broken, but she cried a lot. And then she was not that into playing basketball after that, and the side of her face was red all night. And there really is no thing that feels quite as bad <laughs> as straight up hurting your kid. Yeah. that's That sucks. Yeah. Did you try to get her to play again, to, like, get back on the bike kind of thing? Or was I did, and concern? she shot around a little bit, but, like, her enthusiasm had clearly <laughs> Been knocked out of her. Yes. <laughs> Been just slammed out of her by large objects. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, next time say, like, think fast or something before you... <laughs> <laughs> That's my parenting advice. The universal, <laughs> universal sign of I'm about to hit you in the face with the thing. Hands up. All right. What you got? Uh, So it's been a while, and I have a few fails stored stored up, but I'm going to go with the failingest one. This is going to be long and involved, so thankfully yours was short. Um, Try to stay with me. I'm stealing my courage. (laughs) So we live on a great street. It's a dead end, uh, so there's not a lot of through traffic, and it's flat. 
and the town is mostly hilly, but our street is flat and it's filled with young families, um, or I shouldn't flatter myself, families with young kids. And the kids are always out playing football or baseball or hockey or riding bikes or whatever, running around with water guns in the middle of the street. And it's really great. And our boys are part of it. And we love it. However, there is somewhat um, there's there's a somewhat unfortunate dynamic sometimes where these otherwise very nice kids kind of gang up on Harry. Separately, they're his friends. Um, but together, there's a group of four of them that are just kind of jerks to him. This has been going on for a while. Um, and I've been unsure of how to handle it because, like I said, they're nice kids. We're friendly with their parents who are all great. And they aren't bullying him. They're just kind of leaving him out um, and doing some, like, kind of jerky things. Like, they'll take stuff out of our garage. And then when he no- like when he notices them and he wants to play with them, they'll kind of, like, take his stuff and then ditch him. Uh, and he's come to us for advice. And we've we've given him, I think, good advice. Um I hope. But otherwise, we just haven't gotten involved directly. We haven't approached the parents or talked to the kids. But a few weeks ago, the four kids came into our house. I was home in like a somewhat aggressive way. And it seemed pretty clear to me that they were going to try to take something of his in a way that they have done before. Like um, coming to the house to mess with him. Yeah. And after yeah. they left, Harry was upset and claimed that they'd stolen his football cards. And I was just like fucking pissed. I was just fuming mad. Uh, but I was still hesitant to get involved and kind of hoped that he would try to deal with the social situation himself with my support. So we talked about it and decided he should go down to the house where they had gone at the end of the block and demand his cards back. And I told him I'd come down in a few minutes to get him for lunch and also just to like make sure everything was okay. And he seemed good with this. Um, thankfully, through all of this, like all summer, this has been going on, or longer, sorry, all year, um, he's, he's like a pretty self-assured, confident kid. So I've felt like pretty good about that. Anyway, when I got down there, the other kids were saying they didn't have the cards and they wanted him to leave. And I was pissed. And I told them that it's not cool how they treat him and that their parents would be angry if they knew. And then we left. And as we were walking home, Harry said, wow, mom, you really stood up for me. I usually think that you think the way they treat me is my fault and you never stand up for me like that. So that's not even the whole thing. So that was crushing. Um, Clearly, I haven't done a good job of making him feel like I'm behind him in my like attempt to sort of let him work this stuff out. I have left him hanging. Um, So then we get back to the house and one of the moms uh, texts me and says she heard the commotion on her front porch and what happened. And I kind of unloaded and said how I'm sick of her kid and the other kids ditching Harry and doing shitty things to him and also that they stole his cards. And I was like I was I was gentle about it. I said I know Harry's no angel and I'm sure I don't see everything that goes on. But the dynamic of four against one is really upsetting and it has to change. And she replied immediately like horrified saying that she'd find the cards and that she was not okay with Harry being treated that way. And then we had lunch and went went along with our day. And at around seven as we're cleaning up and getting ready for bath, Harry found the cards (laughs) in our house. Yeah. So, yeah, the kids hadn't stolen them. He was wrong. And I, had, you know, I had believed him and never made him do a thorough search or done one with him before accusing these kids and sending that text to the mom. And the whole thing was just shitty. Like, I still, the dynamic, the, the, my real complaint still stands, but everything got sort of undercut by me falsely ac- accusing these kids of stealing his cards. Right. And that is my story. The actual thing that needs to be solved now is harder to solve. Because the moment that it finally broke, it turned out, was not actually one of those moments. Right. And then we made him go apologize for accusing them 
of stealing his cards. Right. Uh, and Which whatever, the I'm whole sure thing just kind of... worry makes him feel like, oh, geez, now they don't have my back again. I have to go apologize, even though they do mean things to me all the time. Yep. Yeah, that's really hard. I mean, that's, you know, it's different than some of the mean girl stuff that we are talking about with Rosalind Wiseman today, although not that different. And I do think that there's stuff that she talks about that is applicable to this, especially in the way that parents talk to their kids about these situations. And she talks a lot in the book about how difficult it is. And I don't think you should beat yourself up about this specifically, how difficult it is to encourage your children to be self-sufficient and self-sustaining in situations like this while still making sure they feel supported. And that's a really, really hard line to walk. And it's not like you were intentionally making him feel that way. You were trying to walk that line and trying to do the best thing for him. And he now knows that you have your back, that you have his back and that you care about this and you know how he feels and it can be better from now on. But I don't think that you should like stomp all over yourself for for him saying that. It felt bad, but you can like you should move past it. No, I mean, I'm not, but I am going to be more conscious about trying to like, I don't know, choose a different (laughs) line to walk. I mean, I do want I don't (laughs) want to always get involved. I don't think that's good for him or for anybody. Um and, you know, that is my impulse is to always, like, take a kid aside oh, yeah. and be like, you little douchebag. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, but I'm not, you know, I don't want to do that. Uh, and I want him to work out a lot of the stuff himself. But, yeah, I want him to, to know that, like, we're in his corner. Yeah. So before we get to our first segment, one other thing about your fail, Allison, which is that um, it actually is it's very closely related and, and remarkably similar in many ways to – a fail that I had this past month when we were in Milwaukee staying with my brother and his wife and their kids. Um, And this weird dynamic has developed between the cousins in our family in which um, Harper and his kids and also some neighborhood kids are all sort of like ganging up on Lyra, the older, my older daughter, which is slightly weird. Often it is the younger kid who gets uh like sort of pushed around but for whatever reason this like they those three are like peas in a pod and lyra feels like a little bit put out and they are only exacerbating that by uh by like excluding her from games or playing tag and taking advantage of her and teaming up against her and like doing all these things that also like enrage me and it's slightly weirder because also one of my kids is doing the ganging up on but i like you was trying to walk this line of like really encouraging Lyra to solve these problems on her own, especially because she's like the oldest of all these kids. I felt like, ah, you should be able to like navigate this. Um, But I think she felt the exact same way about me that I, that like I was only stepping in when it really got bad and I wasn't really on her side. I was just like one of those parents who was stepping in and being like, I just want everyone to get along, but not like actually addressing the problem. Um, And, and so I too, am like trying to, to do this and I think a lot of parents are having this have this exact problem of trying to walk that line so don't feel like too stressed out about it I hope some parents will write in and tell us you know where they when they know when to speak up and how yeah yeah step into the world of power loyalty and luck I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse with family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chabacasino.com welcome to the family 
no purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. All right. So let's move on to our first segment. 14 years ago, the first edition of Rosalind Wiseman's book, Queen Bees and Wannabes, was released. Many people know the book, of course, as the basis for the movie Mean Girls. But for many parents, the book was more than just the basis for a really fun movie. It was an essential guide to the challenges of girls' friendships and the clicks, the heartbreak, and the backstabbing that sometimes occurs within those friendships. This summer, Wiseman is releasing the third edition of Queen Bees with all new material on social networks and more. We really wanted to know how the world of girls' friendships has changed just since 2002. So joining us today by Skype from Boulder, Colorado, is Rosalind Wiseman. Hi, Rosalind. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. We're so glad you're on. So one of the things that felt really notable about this book when it first came out uh, was the way that it, it urges parents to really try to put themselves in girl world. So for people who haven't read the book who, or who aren't familiar with sort of the structure of it or the way you talk about this issue, what do you mean by putting yourself in girl world? Well, I wanted parents and people who work with girls to really remember the feeling of what it's like to be a girl, or at the very least, if you were male, to really think that you could go there to a certain extent, that I could give you like glasses so that you could look through the world in a different way. And I really felt that that's always been what my work has been, that boys and girls tell me what their world looks like, and then I translate it to parents. Um, But one of the things that's really funny about parents, and, you know, God bless us all with this, is that we become parents and then sort of soundbite kind of answers come out of our mouths to really complicated issues, or we have a hard time differentiating between ourselves and our kids. So we feel like if I had this problem, you know, or if I experienced this problem with friendships, like I know what it's like that you are going through this problem. And to a certain extent, you sort of do, but you are living a different life than your daughter. And so you have a basis for beginning to understand, but you actually don't know exactly what it's like. So I really want parents to understand that um, they have a way of going to that world and there's a way and a language to understand We've got to really credit the fact that the girls have their own world. And you can get there if you listen. And you can get there if you actually, if you can acknowledge and admit to yourself that, you know, yes, you, you've gone through some of these experiences, but your daughter is a different person than you. Yeah, that, yeah, that's one of the things that was really revolutionary to me in reading this book was both acknowledging that your experience can help you understand, but also reminding you that your experience is not the be all and end all. So what is exactly. the most important thing? that you feel like you've added or changed in this new edition? What is something that is really on teenagers' minds and parents' minds that you've had to deal with that's new since 2002? Well, I think two things. One is is that the way in which we talk about bullying and mean girls and cliques, for the most part in, in schools, is really annoying to girls. It's also annoying to boys, by the way. Um, but one of the things that's happened is we tend to simplify things when we talk to young people because we think that that's sort of what they can deal with. They can't deal with the complexities of social dynamics, but they do understand the um, complexities of social dynamics and they deal with them every day. You know, so when we talk about bullying, what we have an assembly, we talk to the girls with the assumption that like one person is incredibly nasty and horrible and like evil. And then the other person is a hundred percent innocent. And while there are times when that happens and I don't want to take away from anybody's experience like that, that is not the majority of things that are happening in conflicts. 
So it's really frustrating for kids to listen to adults lecture them about things that are unrealistic. Um, so that's one thing. The other part is that comes across about bullying is that young people, that parents often say things that are bullying or mean girl behavior that doesn't really justify it. And so they're so quick to call the school or they're so quick to get into people's faces about it. And girls don't want their parents running into every single thing. Um, it's embarrassing. And the other part is, is it's developmentally appropriate. They want to do things on their own. They want to figure things out on their own. So it's really important for parents to realize that even if they think they're being like advocates for their children, that, um, and even if something terrible has happened to their kids, sometimes girls really just want to talk about and get the feelings that they're feeling off of their chest, but they don't necessarily want their moms running into the school or, or sending in some nasty email in all capitals talking about like that their daughter's being bullied and that that bully get it better get like removed from school. And one of the things that happens as a result is that, and again, it's well-intentioned, it's coming from well-intentioned motivations. But when, when parents freak out about this kind of stuff, it is absolutely clear to me. And this is something I wanted to, I wanted parents to really get in this third edition is that girls will stop talking to you if you overreact to things um, because they can't trust you. And that really makes sense. So parents think they're doing like being their best advocates. And at the same time, they're stopping their kids from talking to them. So that's the first, that was one of the big issues for me about what was in the new, what should go in the new book. And then of course, you know, I wrote a second edition five years ago and Instagram and Snapchat weren't really around and now they really are. So I need to, you know, the issues are similar, but the ways, the tools the girls are using are different. Um, and my thinking has changed a lot. You know, it develops from what the girls tell me. So I wanted to share my new, the new ways I was thinking about things um, and the experiences I was having girls with this new book. So I was listening to this American Life episode earlier this year about how kids pick apart and read into the comments on their Instagram posts. Like if someone posts so beautiful, um, that might not be seen as a compliment if that poster usually writes something more effusive to other girls like, oh, my God, dying, you are so gorgeous. Uh, <laughs> so can you talk a little right. bit about how kids wield power with social media reactions and how a social hierarchy is or isn't enforced online? Yeah. And also, you know, what it also speaks to is that so many parents ask me about whether they should hack it, whatever the word is you want to use, but do surveillance monitor. on their social, yeah, monitor, like spy, whatever the word is you want to use on their kids' social media. And honestly, you know, you really, you can try, but it's really going to backfire. Um, I feel really strongly that a sort of easy answer for someone like me to say is like, yes, you should be like monitoring what your kids do online. Okay, let's really think about that. Who is more incentivized and more knowledgeable to hide the information or find the information? Your kids are highly incentivized to hide information, even if it's staring at you, just like what you said, the coded language they use. A parent could read that, whatever it is and think, oh, there's like no problem with that. Or they might on the opposite side, they might really react to something and think, oh, my God, this is the worst thing that I cannot believe this person said that. So their parents are really can be easily can easily misinterpret what they're reading or what they're seeing online. Um, and the other part is, is that when you're spying and doing surveillance, you really, really do destroy the relationship, any kind of foundation of trust that you have with your kid. So for the most part, I really don't think parents should be doing that. Um, but the other part is it's it's there's no point in doing it anyway, because as you're talking about, 
girls are really, really good at creating privacy in the public space of this of social media. They're really good at creating images and language that they understand, but maybe nobody else does. So just from what you're exactly from what you're saying, the way in which girls comment, there's a whole history to that. And girls understand that. Um, Now, that said, I don't think that being excluded from an Instagram post is bullying. And I think that that's a really important distinction to make because, again, like words matter and bullying is about like going after somebody like inherently for who they are, like, you know, their sexual orientation, their race, their ethnicity, like their expression of gender, like really, really, these are serious, serious issues. And the drama that happens on social media can be really hurtful, like absolutely hurtful. And it's really important to your daughter, but you have to be able to distinguish what you're dealing with. Right. And that goes back to what you were talking about before, that you hear from parents all the time now who are really quick to pull the trigger on calling bullying or declaring that someone is a mean girl and going to the authorities with that when it might be something more garden variety or something that is still better for a kid to try and solve herself. Right, exactly. And so solving for yourself could be that your parents are behind the scenes helping you think through the problem. Um, but, you know, it's amazing to me also that parents think that if, you know, if they go up to a, a girl that they consider a mean girl and yell at her, that that girl is A, going to listen and B, that they're going to convince her of anything. The only thing they're going to convince her of is like, you're ridiculous. And whoever I can think of who sent you here, I'm going to completely ridicule. So it's it, it really doesn't work. I don't know... I really do not like do not, this whole thing of like sort of it, that's really about the parents' baggage and somebody did something to them in the past. And so they're putting it out on that kid because it doesn't work. It just backfires. So then what does work? I guess that's the thing that we struggle with. We <laughs> right, struggle sure. with we've we've already talked about this this episode. We struggle with how much to be involved and how much to take a stand for our kids and how much to hold back, but then how to convey to them that. We, we are there and we are listening and we wish we could help even though they don't want us to help or maybe we don't yeah. even need to tell them that. Yeah. Well, you know, here's there's a lot of things I think about that. One is is that girls can say – there are some mothers who will say to me or dads who will say to me, like, my daughter talks to me about everything. Like, she constantly talks to me about everything. Um, you're, I just want people to understand that people, girls could talk a lot but still be selective about what they say. And on the flip side, a girl could not talk to you very much about sort of the day-to-day kind of drama or or things that are just going on in her life. But when it matters, if she talks to you, that's really good. So so the fact, you know, people sometimes feel like they have that having a good relationship with our daughter is defined by the fact that our daughter tells them a lot of things. That's not necessarily true. You just need your daughter to trust you, to talk to you when she needs it. And for to recognize when she's gone to that place. And so that's the first thing that that sort of setting up the foundation for like recognizing how to get your daughter to talk to you. The second thing I would do is I would really say to her this thing of, you know, you might go through some hard times. Um, You know, you're starting middle school. You know, like you don't have to wait for these problems to come. You could say, you know what, it's, it's unfortunately, it can be pretty common to have conflicts when you're in fifth grade or sixth grade or 10th grade, whatever it is. And, you know, I went through some of those problems when I was your age, but it also, but I also recognize that you have your own life and you are going to go through things differently than me, but know that, you know, I am here for you when you are ready or if you're ready. And I would really, and I appreciate the trust you would place in me. Like I recognize the trust you are placing in me when you talk to me about the things that you are dealing with. 
Um, the other thing I would say to a girl is if a girl comes to you for help, you know, is to say, are you asking for advice or you just want to get, you know, this off your chest? Because parents can get really into the fix it mode, which is fix it mode, and it drives kids crazy when that happens because they really do oftentimes just want to express their feelings. So I would say to your daughter, if she goes to you for help, are you asking me for help or do an advice or do you just want to get it off your chest? And then you can always switch in the middle of the conversation and say like, actually now I need your advice. And then we can switch into that mode, but I just want to be here for you in the way that you need me to be. The other part I would also say is when your daughter comes to you, and this is evergreen actually, is that when your daughter comes to you with a problem, girls are really careful usually about how they come to you. So they usually couch things in generalities like, well, the kids were bothering me or this thing happened to me. And it's usually general and they're, they're watching you to see what your reaction is. And so if you flip out, they're not going to talk to you. So what I would do is I would say, can you give me a little bit more information, like specific information so I understand better about what you're dealing with? And then when your daughter tells you, you're going to get a lot of information about that. Some girls flip out. They get really upset about small things, and they need to get more resilience about handling stuff. And some girls are never going to tell you when things are really, really horrible. There's a whole spectrum. And you have to get some information listening to your daughter about how she's interacting with her world. So when she comes to you, no matter what, though, you say, I'm really sorry this happened to you. Like, thank you for trusting me to tell me. And together, we're going to think through this problem so you feel a little bit more control over it. I can't fix this problem for you 100%, but what we can do is think through how you can feel that you've got more control. Um, And if you set it up like that, what happens is the girls, literally their anxiety goes down because when you're dealing with a girl who's being mean to you, I don't care if you're 12 or you're 25 or 35 or 55, it really can feel like that person has mythological power over you. So it calms your brain down so you can think through the problem. And I think that sort of creating that kind of atmosphere for your, for you and your child is really important in terms of your child coming to you. Um, but there's a couple of other things I just wanted to say too, which is that I, what I really want parents to be careful about, because I heard in this, with this iteration of the book, I heard a, a lot from the, from girls about parents comparing them to other people's children. And that is because parents are posting all of these like perfect pictures and accomplishments on Facebook, just like girls curate their perfect images on Instagram Parents are doing that on Facebook. And I just heard, no joke, from one of the kids that works with me that a girl trying to get her parents to feel good about their daughter lied to her parents about um, being the student body president, being elected to be the student body president. And mom, of course, posted it on Facebook. (laughs) And so all of the kids saw that this was a lie. So I just want to like give, you know, parents have to stop curating their perfect lives because it's also making other parents crazy. And then they compare their kids to other people's children. And that's not cool. So we've got to be really careful about what we're saying and how social media is impacting us as well. So when you talk about girl, we talked at the beginning of this interview about girl world. And I think, you know, it's true that a lot of us, I don't have girls, I have sons, but like, it's very easy to like, think you understand what they're going through, because you can think back on that time that you were left out or whatever happened. But it's also, I think, easy for parents to feel like we don't get what's going on at all because of all this crazy social media stuff that they do. And I'm, and I'm curious, like, 
you know, if anything about life online has actually made navigating social dynamics easier for kids or for girls. And if that's like something for parents to understand, because I don't always, you know, think it's necessarily the healthiest for us all to be frightened. (laughs) Yes, it's not healthy for us to be frightened. It's also not healthy for us to hate our children because they're constantly on their phones all the time. And you're constantly fighting with them about that, which is, you know, I certainly do that quite a bit with my kids as much as I know but it's not usually very productive. Um, so I think that there's a couple things that are good about social media. I mean, one is, is if you're um, a kid who's not, if you've got other interests or you want to explore like different things in the world that you're interested in, um, you can find communities online that are going to affirm you and make you feel connected to other people. And I think that's awesome. Um I think that, by the way, I think texting between parents and kids can be really good because sometimes the emotional content is so intense that being like person to person is for teenagers can be too much. So, for example, if, you know, if I have a daughter and she's had a really, really hard time with something and then she goes to school, I can text her one time, not 25 times, one time and say like, hey, just checking in with you, right? Or if you had a big fight and you need to apologize for something you did, you know, one time you say, you you can text her and say, hey, you know, I've been thinking about this and I really overreacted. Sorry about that. Those are meaningful conversations that happen over text. And that's the, obviously that's really, that's really positive. Um, the thing that I think that's hard is that sort of all of the worst attributes of girl world get exacerbated by social media. So the constant needing to show yourself in a particular way and pleasing sort of an imaginary audience, that's really powerful. I am, I will absolutely say, and I talk about this a lot in the third edition of Queen Bees, I listened a lot to the girls about how they were using sexual or flirty sexual pictures or, or sexually oriented texts with people to flirt. And that was, those were some really interesting conversations that we had and that I included in the book. So those are really evolving concepts for me. Um, and we just need to listen to the girls. We can still have, at the end of the day, we can still have the feeling, the opinions that we have, but we need to be educated about the way that girls are seeing things and how these issues are evolving. So we uh, come from it, from at least it comes across like we, and it is that we are respecting where they're coming from. Um, and also, one of the things I'd really like, particularly mothers, to remember is that if you have a middle school daughter or a high school daughter and you find out that another girl in the class or in the friend group has sent a sexual picture, that is a moment to support that girl and that family. That is not a moment to tell your daughter that you should not be hanging around that girl or to be saying nasty things about that girl to other parents. Because what I've been really struck by and and getting so much um, stories from girls and from mothers is that mothers are calling the girls who get found out, who've sent this picture, they're calling 13-year-old girls sluts. And it is so damaging, not only to that girl, but to all of the girls to have mothers reacting to that situation in that way. We need moms to support, and dads, of course, to support girls when things become public like that, because everybody can make a mistake, and it's not a time for shame. It is a time for support, and it is a time for grace. Yeah, that's really important. Like One of the big points you make in the book and in our conversation is we need to listen to girls, but of course, girls are also listening to us, 
and they hear what we say. All right. Thanks, Rosalind. There was some really, really great practical advice in this conversation. The new edition of Queen Bees and Wannabes is out now in bookstores and online. We will post a link to buy it on our Facebook page. Thanks. Thank you for having me. Okay. On to the listener call, which is not really a listener call, but... Each episode, normally, we take a listener call and try to answer it. If you have questions for us, call us at 424-255-7833. We really want to hear from you. But this week, we're not going to take a call. And instead, I'm going to interview Dan about some exciting news in his life that, as he said at the beginning of the show, will impact this parenting podcast and it will impact his own parenting and it will impact the Amazon Parenting Books rankings in the fall (laughs) of 2019 if he meets his deadline. I'm sure you will triumph. Dan, tell our listeners your news. Uh, I um, am writing a book for Little Brown, the publisher Little Brown, called How to Be a Family. Uh, and it is a book about parenting around the world, how uh, parents and families in different countries work, uh, how their lives are, what life is like. Um, and in order to write this book, the Smith Coises are traveling around the world for all of the year 2017 living for three months each in four different places. Uh, We're living for three months in New Zealand, for three months in the Netherlands, for three months in Costa Rica, and for three months in Hayes, Kansas, a small town uh, in the West Kansas. Okay, I'd like to ask you a couple of questions, a few follow-up questions. Uh, How are Harper and Lyra feeling about this adventure? They have mixed feelings about this adventure. Yeah. We had talked to them for a long time about this desire that we had to like have a, a like a crazy family adventure that had always seemed really important to to Ali and I and but was not something we sort of had figured out a way to do. And then we figured out a way to do it. And when we told them that the this the vague thing we talked about all the time was becoming a reality. And we were doing this trip. They screamed a lot and they had a lot of questions. And they now use it mostly as a way to like brag to other kids that they don't have to do the end of year standardized tests at the end of the next school year because they'll be gone. Uh, and they seem happy about that and about many things about the trip. They also will. Uh, each of them has during a different fight suddenly just gone and you're dragging us away from our friends for a year on the stupid trip that we didn't even want to go on. But then later they seem excited about it again. So I think that they're responding in a in a not in an unsurprisingly mixed way. Okay, setting aside the book deal part of things, what you said that you guys had wanted to have this kind of adventure for a long time with your family. What what is like what are you hoping the year of adventure does for you guys? You know, I hope that we're it's gonna really change the way that we think about how our family can work on a day-to-day basis. And we I hope that by going to these places and seeing like how in New Zealand family life really revolves around the outdoors and making nature part of your life. And how in Holland, the idea of like comparing yourself and the size of your house to another family's is totally anathema. Like those are all things that feel absent or wrong or off about parenting culture to me in the United States right now. And they're things that we talk about on the show all the time. Um, and the idea of going to all these different places and and having not only us but our kids see – how Dutch families work, how Costa Rican families work, how it works in a small town in middle America as opposed to, you know, in the D.C. exurbs, which is a totally skewed version of what family life can be in many ways. I hope that that really is not only fun and adventurous, but really changes in the future the way that we live our own lives. Yeah. So you and I have talked about before just for this podcast about sort of having – 
some qualms about how much we talk about our kids and how much we use them for this like work endeavor. Do you have or did you have any trepidation about using your family for a book project? Yeah, some. Uh, that trepidation fell away uh, when it became clear that we could take this trip. Yeah. It didn't completely fall away. It is something that I worry about. And I think that especially as Lyra in particular gets older, um, it I will have to be very careful about what I say about her. And I'll have to really start talking to her in a way I don't really talk to them now about what she feels comfortable about being conveyed in the book and what she doesn't. I also want to give them both a voice in this process. And so, I mean, during the trip, they are actually both going to be uh, YouTubing during the trip because they really, really want to. That's how they that's how they want to like convey this information to family and friends and anyone else who happens to see. They want to do like YouTube video blogs about this. And Lyra particularly is going to be writing at least a small section of this book about her experiences. And I want to make sure that her voice is included. But overall, I felt like this is something that is fascinating to me. And this is these are issues that I think a lot of parents really, really, really care about. Certainly the evidence of this show suggests parents are passionately interested in this subject. And the easiest way to address this subject is through a story and our story. And I don't think I'm going to do like permanent damage to my kids. And if I do, it will be outweighed by the fact that they'll now have a great subject for their college <laughs> admissions essay. Uh, okay. Last question. How much are you going to miss me? I'm going to miss you so much, but uh, I want – this is up to you, of course, as the sole remaining original co-host of Mom and Dad are Fighting come January 1st. Uh, I would love to call in from the road and uh, give our listeners occasional updates on what's going on and um, you know, hear you make fun of me just like you do now. That would be nice. I hope that works out. We'll see. Um, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, uh, listeners, don't worry. Well, you should worry because I'm sure some of you like Dan. Uh, it's it's but, possible. <laughs> but we will, at some point between now and Dan's departure, we'll be throwing a big goodbye podcast for him. It's not goodbye. It's see you later, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also we will be finding a new co-host. Uh, and if you have great ideas for who that co-host should be, email us. Yeah, for sure. Mom and dad at slate.com. We'd love to hear who you think would be uh, the perfect replacement for me, like me, but better, <laughs> taller, more handsome. Doesn't throw balls at his kid's face. Yeah, does not throw balls at his kid's face. Just all the things that make up a great dad or mom. It could be mom and mom are fighting. Who knows? Who knows who this co-host would be? <sighs> okay. Dan, we're going to miss you, but I'm going to save all that schmaltzy stuff for months down the road and move on to our next segment. You're just going to be mean, but in a different way. (laughs) Of all the things John and I fight about, this is is the next segment. (laughs) I don't know if that was clear. Of all the things John and I fight about, and there are plenty, our number one greatest hit of fights is definitely the fight over how to divide up all the work that having a family requires who's doing more of it, and whether that matters. John accuses me of always keeping track, having a running tally in my head of tasks that I'm responsible for versus tasks he's responsible for and keeping score. Uh, And I accuse him of taking responsibility mostly for the things he enjoys, like cooking and mowing the lawn. So these are all normal fights that healthy couples have, and we're good, don't worry. Uh, But I think this divvying up of tasks is a common stress point in most households, so we want to talk about it on the show. Uh, Dan, how do you and Alia divide shit up? We uh, we each have certain tasks that are indisputably ours. Um, I 
pay the bills and I deal with health insurance nightmares and um, I do most of the cooking uh, or preparing of meals uh, and most of the dishes. Um, Alia does laundry. She is usually the one who figures out summer camp. Um, she is the one who um, communicates most often with like the room parent about school things. And then there's this vast sea of stuff in the middle that is sort of left foggy. And it falls usually to the person who's slightly less busy at work, um, or at least it should in theory. I will also freely admit that it much more often falls to Alia than it does to me because often it is like the stuff that I don't notice or care about as much, like making sure shit is clean and you know, dusting and making sure all the laundry gets done, which like I is like never high on my priority list. And so Ali gets stuck with that bullshit way more often than I do. How did the, in the, the tasks that are like neatly divided or it's a very clear line, how did the, how did that happen? Like, was there a conversation or each of you just kind of gravitated towards certain tasks? I think we just gravitated towards them and not, I don't, it's a mix of like, you are right that people often sometimes gravitate toward tasks that they like. I do think Alia likes being connected to school and to room parents and knowing that stuff and being the face of that. I think she enjoys that. I like doing dishes because I can watch baseball while I do the dishes. Um, but there's plenty of things that we also just grabbed, even though we hate them because we just grabbed them and it just makes sense for one person to do it. Like it does not make sense for one for two people to pay the bills. Um, but so how does it work in your family? You sort of, you thumbnailed it a little in your intro, but like, what is the stuff that you actually do? And is there anything that John does that he doesn't actually like? Well, I mean, I think he would probably argue that he doesn't really love doing all the yard work. Um, in my mind, it's like a Saturday, half half of Saturday that he gets to like be outside and does that stuff while I'm watching the kids. Well, at the same time, like I'm not, you know, if I said okay, I'll mow the lawn and do the yard work this weekend. I don't think he'd fight me on it, um, right. and I don't do that. Um, yeah, I mean, mostly I sort of do all of the day-to-day management. I deal with, like, our babysitter or finding childcare um, if we're having a, you know, in-between babysitters, um, and also, like, nighttime babysitters if we want to go out. I usually am in charge of figuring that out. Um, I do all the, like, figuring out, like, keeping track of what their after-school activities and signing them up and what they want to do and how to get them there and all the school kind of school correspondence and communication um, and figuring out camp. So it feels like I kind of hold all that information in my head. And sometimes I ask him to do things, but it's not like he wouldn't be able to just like do them on his own. Um, And then he does. Yeah. he And I do the laundry. He does the cooking. Um, I don't like to cook, so I'm good with that. Um, And he does the yard work and he pays the bills and he fixes anything that needs fixing around the house. And um, he was in charge of... uh, going to baseball practice when it was a parents had to go and is also in charge of like of any football related things um, from now now that the season has started flag football related things uh, because I asked him to be so yeah I mean I think I think I often feel aggrieved (laughs) like the the stuff that I do is like more constant and requires yeah it requires like constant attention and the stuff that he do, does is less time consuming um, and he feels like it's basically even and also probably like he has a more 
his job. He like he makes a lot more money than I do. And he has like many more employees <laughs> under him. And so I mm-hmm. probably should do more. And I think that's true. But sometimes, you know, it causes tension. Right. Well, and as Ali and I have found out many times, there are time she always makes more money than me. But there are definitely times when my job is crazier than her job. And that in itself becomes a source of tension, not really for her. I don't think that that is on her mind very much, but it's definitely on my mind that I feel like that there are times when I'm completely swamped and I can't contribute the way I would like to. And, and she is not as busy as she usually is, uh, or we're both equally busy, but she like carves out the time or stays up really late to like get that one last house thing done. And I like just can't pull it off. And that always, that definitely makes me feel like a real shit burger. Are you guys focused on keeping things fair or is that not is that not the goal? Or what does I don't fair think, mean? Yeah, that's that's the question. Like the it seems like we me- we measure it more. We've never really talked about this, but at least I measure it more in terms of like mental energy than time spent. Like time spent is hard and it's fine it's hard to find the time to do those things. But like what you talked about for example with you like always being the person who has to like figure out where the kids are, who's taking care of them, what are they doing after school, do we have babysitting, what's up with a nanny. Like that kind of a, of of investment of attention and knowing that if it falls through the cracks, it's always on you, that feels the most draining to me. And so that is the area where I think I do I make the most effort to make sure it is equal for both of us, that we're both on those things that I am always paying attention as much as I can to those things, that I'm making plans and making playdates for the kids as much as she is. And and I hope that, that that I'm right about that. You know, if you asked her, she maybe would say, well, he says he does that, but but actually I pay more attention to it than he does, and I still feel stressed out like it's my job. Um, I don't know. And we And it's not like – we are, we're not really fighters, so we have not had fights about these things. It is totally possible that she is on like a low simmer of annoyance with me <laughs> 23 hours a day and it's just too nice to say anything about it, which if so, I'm really sorry, Alia. Uh, you should mention it. Um, but, you know, that seems to be the thing as opposed to like laundry takes a couple of hours and it's hard to find the hours. You know, that seems to be the thing that is the most taxing, that is the most important in my day-to-day of feeling like everyone is contributing. It's it's hard for two people to share that, though, I think. Or maybe this is, like, how we've constructed it and it was just a mistake. But like I said, it seems like I hold – and a lot. I think I, this is the case for a lot of different families. Like, one person holds all that information and, like, ha, you know, we have all these apps on our phones from various activities that, like, send us notices. And I make John get the apps, but, like, only one – like, it doesn't really make sense for both of us to be monitoring them and replying. So generally, I just, like, you know, that's my thing. And maybe I've done this to myself, <laughs> um, but it seems hard to share it. It is hard to share it. And there are definitely times when stuff, like, falls through when I assumed she was getting a babysitter and she assumed I was getting a babysitter and – We've had some panicked six o'clock conversations when we are supposed to be somewhere at seven where we realize that no one got a babysitter. Um, And probably in the end, the end result is that instead of one of us feeling like stressed out and like they have to devote a huge amount of attention to this thing, both of us feel stressed out and like we have to devote a huge amount of attention to this thing. So maybe we made the wrong choice. Yeah. So one thing we haven't talked about, but you mentioned in the intro is gender and Like recently, actually, when John and I were having one of our um, 
arguments about this. Uh, that came up not from me, yeah. actually, from him, because he, saw, I think, kind of assumed that that was part of what made me angry was that I felt like I was getting dumped on because I'm the wife. Mm-hmm. I actually don't feel that way in our family, um, although I think that's probably true in a large percentage of families. Um, mm-hmm. Do you feel like gender plays a part in how things go in your divvying up of chores? I mean, Allison, I don't think it's the primary thing, but it's not an accident that both of our like progressive feminist families still break down mostly along like traditional gender lines and the things that people are doing. No, like, I don't mean I, that it's not breaking down that way for je- for those reasons. I just mean I don't think that's why I'm mad about it. <laughs> I see. Okay. No, uh, I think those things are they run deep. Yes. I think that Alia definitely thinks that if I wasn't a dude, I would pay a lot more attention to how fucking messy our house gets. Yeah. And do something about it and feel like that is a thing that needs to be a priority as opposed to always being the lowest priority. And I and I feel quite certain that annoys the shit out of her. Um, All I can say about that is like things will things evolve, right? Like it wasn't very long ago that cooking was not the the guy task. And now in a lot of households, it is. So who knows? 20 years from now. Yes. And it's and I'm always very interested in how this plays out in same sex households. Obviously. So there's the question of single parent households where this isn't an issue because one person has to do every fucking goddamn thing. Yep. Uh, But then in same sex households, I'm always really interested in how these negotiations work and how and with gender removed as a source of friction do these conversations sometimes get easier are they less charged do they is that baggage not associated with it or are there other kinds of baggage that i simply don't understand or does everyone just take a role like pick a role basically yeah yeah. I don't, or maybe, yeah, maybe that happens. I don't know. I, I don't know that at all. I'd be really interested if our same-sex lis- same sex parent listeners um, write to us and tell us, like, how do you break things up in your family? And is there anything that I can learn about, like, making this better and more equitable uh, from families that are different from mine? Yeah, I'd I will love report to... back next year about how it works in New Zealand, <laughs> Costa Rica, and Kansas. I'd love to hear from all our listeners because I suspect this is a, an issue in a lot of households. And if it's not an issue, I'd like to hear about that too. Like how well, how is it not and why is it not and how, how do you uh, navigate it without it becoming a problem? Um, yeah, but don't brag. If you brag, we'll get angry at you. <laughs> I also kind of think that we should make this a recurring feature, not a recurring segment, not about household duties, but like number one fight. Because you, yeah. you oh, like yeah. you're That's like, oh, this isn't a problem in our house. So now I want to have like a probing segment on whatever the thing is that you guys actually do fight about. Uh, okay. Before I'll you leave the one. country, before you flee the country, like your children are fleeing their standardized tests. That's right. I look forward to you probing so deep that you bring up some horrible fight that I then reveal <laughs> on the air and Ollie gets angry at me and then our family falls apart right before our trip. Thanks a lot. <laughs> she just texted Thanks me, you know. <laughs> She didn't do that. So, yeah, listeners, please write in. We really want to hear about this. Uh, that I do think that this is something that that everyone battles about. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, 
giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Uh, All right, let's move on to recommendations. Allison, you want to go first? Yeah, sure. I have a really fun recommendation. Uh, It is the Nickelodeon Kids' Choice Sports Awards. (laughs) (laughs) Were you expecting that? No. <laughs> so Nickelodeon started this a few years ago, copying their success from the non-sports Kids' Choice Awards when, like, celebrities get slimed. Uh, and this is just the thing. I mean, I've never actually watched that, but I'm assuming this is just the same thing, but with athletes. But if your right. kid is at all into sports, it is, like, the most fun thing to watch ever. Uh, this year's <laughs> was hosted by Russell Wilson, who's a favorite in my household. And Steph Curry and Clay Thompson had a three-point shootout with these massive bouncy balls. And Gronk was featured prominently. Of course, we recorded it and watched it over a few nights. It was a really huge hit. Uh, I greatly enjoyed watching my kids get such a kick out of it. So go watch this. Who got who got slimed? Do people get slimed? Did Steph Curry get Kobe slimed? got slimed? Kobe, Kobe got, got slimed. slimed. Good. I'll watch that. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Uh, yeah, it was very fun. Um, watch it next year or watch 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 it on you know your DVR. Uh, that sounds really fun. Um, I have a fun recommendation that stems from a sad piece of news. The sad piece of news is that uh, the cartoonist Richard Thompson uh, died last week of complications from Parkinson's. He was really beloved in the cartooning world as basically the nicest person who ever cartooned. Um, he is legendary for his stories of kindness to other cartoonists, young cartoonists just starting in the business. He also is probably the most talented biggest genius of comic strip making of the last 20 years. And um, you may know him from his comic strip cul-de-sac, which uh, ran in daily papers for several years until the effects of his Parkinson's got too great and he had to give it up. He also, if you're a Washingtonian, he did um, Richard Poor's Almanac in the Washington Post magazine for years and years and years and years and years. He was a really great guy. It is sad that he is gone, but your kids, if they have not read cul-de-sac, should read cul-de-sac and there are many fine cul-de-sac collections available they will love them they are screamingly funny and also much closer i think than most comic strips to the actual reality of children's lives and that the children in the strips and cul-de-sac strips are are extremely messy and occasionally quite cruel uh, but also mostly like whimsical wonderful human beings uh, who you just really like spending time with the strip is called cul-de-sac and if you haven't checked it out and your kids haven't checked it out check it out that's a great one all right that's our show uh please like our facebook page at facebook.com slash mom and dad are fighting and give us a call and ask us some questions for us to answer on the air at 424-255-7833 that's 424-255-RUDE, which is what I was when I hit my kid in the face with a basketball. Mom and Dad are Fighting as part of the Panoply Network. You can see all our shows at iTunes.com slash Panoply. Thanks to Panoply Grand Poobah, Andy Bowers. Thanks to Slate Podcast Executive Producer, Steve Lichtai. Thanks to our guests, Rosalind Wiseman and Natalie Matthews-Ramo. Thanks to our producer, Ann Hepperman. Thank you, Allison. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for listening.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.